Alhamdulillah, Alhamdulillah, Rabbil Alameen, wa salatu wa salamu ala ashrafil anbiya'i wal mursaleen, wa ala alihi wa ashabihi ajma'in amma ba'd. Fa'a'udhu billahi minash shaytanir rajim, bismillahir rahmanir rahim, wa minan nasi man yashri nafsahu abtigha'a mardatillah, wallahu ra'ufun bil'ibad, sadaqallahun aliyun azim. My dear respected, most honorable elders, beloved brothers and sisters in Islam, Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. First of all, we begin by thanking Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, by praising and glorifying Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for enabling us with this opportunity to congregate in His house, to worship Him, to glorify Him, to send salutations upon His Messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And we pray that Allah Azza wa Jal will continue to facilitate such opportunities for us in the future. Before we begin, I'd humbly request the brothers who are scattered towards the sides, the back, please do stand up and come forward. Allah bless you for your attendance. Allah reward you for being here on time, listening to the khutbah. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala accept it from you. Please do come forward. Now that the month of Ramadan has passed and we find some of that, uh, the spiritual uh, blessings that the month of Ramadan brought, we find that they've dissipated. And we're, in, we're, at, we're at a point right now where we're trying to figure out what's the best way in terms of moving forward. Right? How can we reignite that passion uh, for, for our deen, for our religion? How can we reignite that connection, that love for that connection between us and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And it's extremely difficult to do so. It's not an easy task. Right? The month of Ramadan is a month of mercy, is a month of blessings, wherein you fast constantly throughout the day. You worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala at night. You're in a perpetual state of ibadah, of worship. And in that state of worship, Right? You're only focused on one thing and one thing alone, and that's to please Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Once the month of Ramadan passes, you find, subhanAllah, that you don't have enough time right, on your hands. In the month of Ramadan, you had all the time in the world to worship Allah. But once the month of Ramadan has passed, you find that the time is limited, and you don't have enough time for those acts of worship. So it's imperative that we take every opportunity that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala blesses us with. We take hold of every opportunity that we have in order for us to increase our levels of ibadah and worship. We find after the month of Ramadan has passed that some people, some of us, we work solely for this life. And we work solely for this life that we have in this dunya. We've forgotten that life in the akhirah. We've forgotten that one day Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is going to judge us for our actions. We've forgotten that one day we're going to face Allah. We're going to face our deeds, our actions. And our actions are going to be weighed. They're going to be placed on a scale. And ultimately those, who's, those individuals among, uh, among us whose lives were dedicated to pleasing Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, they're going to be successful. And unfortunately for us, those of us who spent our lives in trivial pursuit, thought that this life in the dunya is the only life. Everything that we have is here, and they work solely to please themselves and others around them. 
allowed their nafs to take control over them. On that day, they're going to be among those whom Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala classifies in the Quran as the khasirin, the losers. And it's imperative that we understand our role. Right? We're here on this world, on this planet. We're here in this dunya for a purpose. And that purpose is to worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But let it be known that worship isn't only the five daily prayers that you perform. Or the fasting that you have. Or the sadaqah and the zakah that you give. Or the hajj in, uh, of, of performing hajj once in your lifetime. That's not the o- they're not the only acts of worship. There's so much more than that. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and the Prophet sallallahu wanted us to live in this life in, prepa- in preparation for the hereafter. And how do we prepare for it? By performing other acts of worship also. Every single thing that we do in preparation for that life is an act of worship, is an act of ibadah. Even if it means removing something harmful from the path, helping another brother, assisting somebody else, doing the smallest of deeds with the intention that this deed is going to bring about something for somebody else, is going to benefit somebody else, and ultimately that deed is going to benefit you on your Qiyamah. We get out, we receive our guidance from the Quran and the Sunnah of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. When we look at how the companions, how they spent le- their lives and what they did in order to reach that maqam, in order to reach that station, it's a life lesson for all of us. You see, we can't put, that, put ourselves in that position where we're constantly engaged in that type of ibadah that's going to lead us to success in the afterlife without focusing on this dunya as well. Without focusing on why we're here, what the purpose of our existence is. What we're supposed to do while we're here. Each and every one of us has a purpose and we need to find it. It's our job to find it. Nobody's going to tell us, hey, there you go, there's your, there's your purpose. That's what you have to do for the rest of your life. It's our job to, to look deep within ourselves and to find that purpose. The purpose of our existence. There were three people who came to the Prophet wasallam. In the time of Rasulullah And they asked about how he sallallahu alayhi wasallam worships Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And when they got the answer, when they looked at how the Prophet worshipped Allah and they saw him fasting perpetually and they saw him praying at night and standing up at night as and the night was, and, and that, that stance was endless. He would stand up at night continually worshipping Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And they realized that he's a prophet of Allah. And what he could do, they weren't able to do. And they were ordinary people. So that meant that they needed to try and reach that same level of, of worship as the Prophet wasallam. So there was one of them who said that he's going to, he, he saw that the Prophet wasallam is fasting perpetually. And he said to himself, I'm going to fast and I'm not going to break my fast. As in, I'm going to fast perpetually also in order to reach that same level of worship and attain that halawatul iman, that, that uh, sweetness of faith. There was another who wanted to pray all night without going to sleep. He didn't want to sleep. He just wanted to pray and worship in order to reach that same level of worship as the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam. Another, he thought to himself, well, you know, 
I'm a young man. And if I get married now, that's going to shift my focus away from the worship of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So he made a promise and took an oath with himself that I'm not going to get married. I'm going to dedicate my life to the worship of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And when news of this reached the Prophet sallallahu of these three companions who had a noble intention, the Prophet sallallahu summoned them. He called them to him. And he said to them that I fast and I also break my fast. As in I don't fast perpetually all the time. I break my fast as well. I pray, I stand up at night and I pray, but I also go to sleep at night. And as I get married, and yet I still find time to worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He was trying to give them a lesson that your idea of worship shouldn't only be restricted to just fasting and doing physical acts of ibadah, physical acts of worship. It's so much more than that. Those who get married the Prophet and complete the Prophet sunnah, it ultimately brings us closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The Prophet told us that marriage is half of your religion. He, he who gets married and completes half of his religion, he should fear Allah for the other half. He should have taqwa of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for the other half. It prepares you every moment that you spend trying to please Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will make your lives easier for you. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does not wish us to live in isolation, to cut ourselves off from society, or to completely deprive ourselves from the blessings that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has granted to us and for those things that he, he has made halal to us. Now we can't be among those who make things haram which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has made halal and make those things halal which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has made haram. We can't do that. We shouldn't be excessive in our spending, but yet we should work to sustain ourselves. We shouldn't be success excessive in our eating, but that doesn't mean that we starve ourselves. We have to find that wusutiyah, that middle path, that path of moderation in our lives. Because that's the path that the Prophet ﷺ trod on. That's the path that the Prophet ﷺ took. The key is to always have that in focus, to have that in mind. That one day we're going to reach the Akhirah. One day we're going to experience the Akhirah, the afterlife. One day we're going to answer for our sins. And one day we're going to be rewarded for our good deeds. But that shouldn't detract or distract us from our worship in this dunya, from the things that we need to do in this dunya, our Islamic duties, and our Islamic duties don't just extend to our acts of worship to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, physical acts of worship, but also much more than that, how to live in a society and a community and to ensure that that community is, is one of peace and tranquility. Our connection with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala should be that fuel for us and a light in our activities in this world. Listen to what Imam uh, Sufyan al-Thawri states. He said that improve your secret and private life and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will improve your public and your social life. When you improve your connection with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, ultimately it will improve your connection with the people. 
it will improve your public lives and your social lives as well. Make matters well between you and Allah, and Allah will make matters well between you and your people. Work for the hereafter. Work for the hereafter, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will be enough for you in your worldly concerns. When you work for the hereafter, when you work to please Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, automatically what you'll begin to realize is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will make things easier for you in this dunya. And that's something that we found in the month of Ramadan. When we thought that the, the fast of, of, of 18 hours is going to be difficult. And we didn't know how we were going to get through it. But as soon as we experienced the first and the second fast, we thought to ourselves, well, this is, this is easy. This isn't a problem for us. You know, we, we can get through this. You know, we can still work during the day. I don't feel that hungry. Oh, well, I feel a little bit hungry at the end, but that's about it. I'm still alive. I'm still functioning well. But yet now, if you ate at 2 o'clock in the morning last, and due to some reason or the other, you were working throughout the day, and you weren't able to eat or drink, and it comes to 2, 3 o'clock in the afternoon. Can you imagine how hungry you would be? Just try it. See one day when you're not fasting, when you don't have the intention to fast, how hungry you will get. How difficult those pangs of hunger will make. How, 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 how difficult they will make life for you. It's unbelievably difficult. But when you do something for the sake of Allah, He makes it easy for you. When we were fasting, He made that fast easy for us. Now try praying for two hours at night. Every night, perpetually, you won't be able to do so. Your legs will start hurting. Your mind, your focus will shift onto other things. You won't be able to concentrate. Yet in the month of Ramadan, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala made it easy for us. Right? We were used to praying every night for two, two and a half, three hours. Our fasting, our prayers, everything was made easy for us because our focus was only one and that was to please Allah. You see, if you have that same focus now to please Allah, Allah will make your ibadah easy for you and He will make your worldly life easy for you as well. Your provisions, He will make them easy for you to attain. Your children, He will make them easy for you to bring up. This is why Ibn Qayyim al-Jawziyyah, he states that this dunya is like a shadow. If you run after your shadow, you'll never be able to catch it. That's what this worldly life is like, it's a shadow. If you run after your shadow, chasing after your shadow, trying to catch it, you'll never be able to attain it. He said, but if you turn your back to it, it has no choice but to follow you. If you turn your back to your own shadow, it has no choice but to follow you. Which means that if you shift your focus from here to there, if you shift your focus from this life to the akhirah, then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will make this dunya run after you, chase after you. As in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will make this life subservient to you. He'll make your, uh, uh, your life is in this dunya much easier. I'm going to give you just a few examples from the sunnah of the Prophet sallallahu and from among the companions. And this is an ibra, this is a life lesson for us. Learning from these uh, unbelievably honorable individuals who made it their sole intention to please Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and to walk on the path that the Prophet sallallahu asked them 
to walk on. One such companion in, is Sayyidina Suhaib. And Sayyidina Suhaib, he was uh, a slave in his youth and he was taken by the Byzantine uh, uh, Empire. And he was taken into the Byzantine Empire. And he was raised among them, but although he was, he was an Arab himself. Later he escaped from that tyranny. And he escaped from there destitute as a slave. And he came to, to Mecca. And in Mecca, he, he had a few skills that he adopted as a merchant. And he slowly but surely built up his, his empire. And he became extremely successful. He became extremely wealthy. So from a life of, of, uh, 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 filled with, 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 with pain and agony, he became extremely successful with his intention that he was going to make a name for himself. He accepts Islam when the Prophet ﷺ preaches to him. And when the time for hijrah came, Suhaib, he made his hijrah alone. He didn't uh, migrate with the other people. He didn't migrate with somebody else in caravans and groups. He migrated alone. And when the Quraysh found out that, that Suhaib has migrated, they, they chased after him. You know, they, they focused their attention on the leaders. You know? They focused their attention on, uh, on, on the affluent and the wealthy and the ones who had nobility within their tribe. And they didn't really focus on those who, who were regarded as slaves to them who were meaningless, whose lives were meaningless to them at least. So they chased Suhaib, they said, we can't let Suhaib get away. If Suhaib gets away from us, then all that business that we have and all that money and that wealth that he has is going to be gone and it's going to be given to the Prophet ﷺ in Medina. So they chased after him and they chased him up a mountain and then they surrounded that mountain and Suhaib is on the top of that, that small hill. And they call out to Suhaib and they say, Suhaib, we've got you surrounded on, on all sides. There's no escape. Lower down your weapons. Surrender to us, come back, you'll be safe and we'll take you back to your home. We'll take you back to your family. And, and Suhaib, he, he, he turns to them and he says, inni You all know that I'm the best archer from among you. And so long as I have this bow in my hand and I have these arrows in my quiver, I'm going to keep fighting until the very end. And I'll take as many of you down with me as I can. Because his purpose was to reach the Prophet ﷺ in Medina. His purpose was to migrate and he would do anything to fulfill that purpose, even if it meant laying down his own life. And they realized that. They knew that. They knew he's an extremely uh, proficient archer. So they realized, they looked to themselves and they said, well, actually, that's true. There's going to be loss of life today either way. Right? In order for us to catch him, you know, our people will have to be sacrificed. Because he will inevitably, he won't go down without a fight. So they said to him, look, let's bargain. And uh, Suhaib said, look, let me, I I'll offer you something. What if I was to say to you that before I left Mecca, all of my wealth that I had, all of my treasures, all of my money, I buried at a certain place in Mecca. In the hope that one day I would return and that wealth would benefit me. What if I was to tell you I know where that is and I could inform you of that place and you could go back there, dig up my belongings and my wealth and distribute it amongst yourselves if only you would let me go today peacefully. And 
they looked to themselves and they thought, that's, that's, that's a good bargain. Suhaib was among the, the most wealthiest of merchants. They knew he had a lot of money. They knew he had a lot of wealth. So they agreed that they agreed to let Suhaib go, let Suhaib leave peacefully, as long as they could go back to Mecca and uh, usurp his, his wealth. And Suhaib left. Now Suhaib could have lied to them, right? Suhaib could have said to them, well, you know, it's at this certain place and, you know, they were going to go back and by the time they checked, Suhaib would be halfway to, to, to Medina. But no, Suhaib wanted to give something up in order for him to reach closer to his destination. And his destination was with the Prophet wasallam in Medina. And ultimately, that was the destination that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala required him to, uh, to be at or to take. So they went back to, to Mecca and lo and behold, when they dug his belongings up, they realized that he, he were exactly where he had told them that's where all of his wealth was and they distributed it among themselves. Suhaib now travels to Medina. The, pro the Prophet's companions who are in Medina, they realize that the Prophet wasallam was becoming a bit agitated in the sense the Prophet wasallam was, was standing up and he was walking to the outskirts of Medina, so they followed him. And when they followed him, they just stood there and they waited with the Prophet knowing that the Prophet was waiting here for something or for somebody. So we're going to wait with him. And a short while later, they realize a figure in the distance walking towards them. And so they wait patiently until that, that figure becomes clearer to them. As that, that individual gets closer, they realize that it's Suhaib. It's Suhaib, uh, who's known as Suhaib al-Rumi. And the Prophet sallallahu is beaming, he's smiling. And he says to him, Rabihat tijaratuka ya Aba Yahya. What a beautiful transaction you have made, O Abu Yahya. Rabihat tijaratuka ya Aba Yahya. What a beautiful transaction you've made. You've sold a piece or a part of this dunya to buy a part of the akhirah. And the Prophet sallallahu Suhaib, that's how he reached that maqam and that level of worship, that he gave something up. For the, sake of, for, for the sake of him reaching that destination with the Prophet And it is about him, that verse of the Qur'an that I mentioned before you in my khutbah is, re is revealed. وَمِنَ النَّاسِ مَنْ يَشْرِي نَفْسَهُ And from the people there are those who will sell themselves to buy the pleasure of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. وَاللَّهُ رَعُوفٌ And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is compassionate towards his slaves. It is about him, this verse of the Qur'an was revealed. Right? That's how he attained his salvation. There was another woman. There was a, a woman who's mentioned in the hadith, and I, I'll go through this very quickly. And this, this woman, I found five books of hadith that this woman is mentioned in. But in all five of them, not a single book mentioned the name of this blessed and honorable woman. So her name is unknown. Her lineage in un, is unknown. But her actions they speak for eternity. And her actions speak louder than anything else that we can possibly find. This woman is described as, uh, as an African woman uh, who was from uh, Abyssinia, uh, from which is modern-day Ethiopia. And she had accepted Islam, and she was living in Medina. She had one, uh, one honorable, noble duty. And that duty that she had for herself, not one that was given to her, that she brought upon herself, was that she used to sweep up the masjid of the Prophet She used to clean the masjid of the Prophet 
And one day the Prophet wasn't there. And she passed away. And when she passed away, the companions, they didn't want to dist- you know, tell the Prophet that this is what's happened. So they, they prayed over her. They prayed her funeral prayer, her janazah prayer. And they buried her. The Prophet found out about the passing of this woman. And he became extremely angry with his companions. He said, why did you not inform me of her passing? Why did you not tell me that she has passed away? And they said, Ya Rasulullah, you know, we thought of it as inconsequential. We thought, you know, this is not something that you would... And the Prophet ﷺ was extremely angry with that situation. He said, immediately take me to her grave. And the Prophet ﷺ prayed for her. Now, again, this is a woman who, who had attained such a station with the Prophet ﷺ. That the Prophet ﷺ noticed her and noticed her actions. How did the Prophet ﷺ find out that, that she was missing? He... Well, he came to the masjid and he noticed that, that that woman wasn't there anymore. She wasn't cleaning the masjid anymore. And he asked about her. Because her actions and the things that she did to please Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, they were noticed. They were noticed by the Prophet So anything that you do with the sole purpose to please Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and to walk in that path that the Prophet walked, you'll find salvation within it. You'll find something. So each and every one of us has a purpose. And we need to find that purpose that we have in this dunya. And that purpose should ultimately be focused on pleasing Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The main focus and the key should be the akhirah and not this life in this world. There's many more examples and inshallah when we have time again we'll go through some of the lives of the companions of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi How they sold themselves in this world to buy a piece of that akhirah. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give me and you the tawfiq and the ability to act upon the teachings of the Quran, the blessed sunnah of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam, and to walk the noble path that the companions of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam walked on. Wa akhirul da'wana, and alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen.